everyone. Welcome to church today. Welcome to Invite Sunday. We've been in this series, which is For Your Neighbor. And this is the week that we're talking a lot about invite. I looked up the definition for invite uh, to make a polite, formal, or friendly request to someone to go somewhere to do something. They gave me some options online. Put it in a sentence for you. We were invited to dinner at the embassy. Something I've never said, but sounds great. Uh, no one turns down an invite to one of Sammy's parties. Okay, we get it. It ask, bid, summons. That's a little strong. Request. Okay, we get it. Invite. Everyone likes to be invited. That's why we've got these incredible. Um, we're gonna we're gonna stack you up when you if you don't take all the stuff we have. We're throwing it away. We got all these little cards. We got postcards. We've got these things. We got business cards. Take them because we don't want to throw them away and hang these on your neighbor's door and make them angry. That's right. I'm kidding. I believe in this resource. This is a great, it's great. This is awesome. We've got all these things. We want to get it to you and get it out because if someone has any inclination at all, I mean, most people will go to church if they're invited, but this is like, hey, do you want to go to a baseball game? Ah, eh, you want to go to the World Series? Sure, I don't even care who's playing. I mean, this is a big deal. It's Easter next week, okay? So invite people, get some of the stuff. We're going to get it out. Everyone likes to be invited. So I want to invite some of you to something. Um, the rest of you, sorry. Uh, I have an event coming up that I just passionately care about. My family, a couple years ago, we went to visit a museum called the Ark Encounter. It is Noah's Ark, built to scale in Kentucky. It blew my mind. So we're taking a trip. You know, the kids get trips. So this trip is for what we call our church prime timers, 55 and above. Now, there are some kids going. They're my kids, okay? Because I don't trust them home alone. Just kidding. Just being serious. It's because they're going to carry your luggage and they play a lot of instruments and we're going to do some hymn sings because I get to pick the songs on the trips I lead. So we're singing some, some hymns, okay? And I've also been working on some history of the church as it pertains to our nation. I'm going to be doing some teaching on the history of the church and uh, I'm a geek. I get excited about all that stuff and we're going to be doing some stops. And so if you would like to be on that trip with Jen and I and the kids, it's April 22 to 25. It's coming up. I think we've got like 19 or 20 spots left. And so some of you are invited. How do the rest of you feel? Right? Right? I know what that's like. I know what it's like to not be invited. Matter of fact, this week I was on the back porch and I was working on my sermon, looking at God's beautiful creation. I heard commotion in the house behind me. And that's because there's always commotion in my house. And I got up. I had a cup of coffee. And so I had to go to the bathroom because, you know, coffee. I don't, this is not bathroom humor. I don't do that. Okay. But I'm just, these are, it's important to the story. I had to go to the bathroom, which sometimes also synonymous for check Instagram. Okay. So I do that. And now I'm inside the house so I can hear some of the commotion of what's going on. My wife, great mom, great mother. She is walking the kids through a fire drill. Okay. For our foster certification, we've got to do timely fire drills. They got to be written on paper. We got to record that we did it. So Jennifer's doing, I'm like, oh. Look at her, man, taking care of business, getting paperwork done. That's great. And I'm, I'm just kind of listening to what is going on in the house. And I'm hearing her like, well, we got we to gotta get you know, everyone. We got to go this way. We can't go that way. And check the, you know, all the safety measures. And the kids are asking questions like, can we take our toys? And Jen's like, she's like, no, we, we can't take our toys. It's real important. We got to get everything that's important. We got to get outside. And, you know, so she's like, they're naming people. And then they, I just hear the door shut. <laughs> And it just it kind of hit me. I'm like, I'm not important. <laughs> I'm like, all right? You know, it, was, it wasn't like, I'm not crying. I'm just kind of like, aw, right? 
You know, she's like, we, we, we get everyone that matters, you know. We, we get all those people. You know, dad's got a great insurance policy. He's fine. Well, whatever, you know. Let the Lord decide, right? See if God's really with them. We'll find out. We'll find out. You know, and the door shuts. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, I did not get invited, right? And then it happened. It happened. I hear the door open back up. And I hear our precious little child go, we forgot him. And I'm like, yes. And then wait for it. And he's like, the dog, we can't forget Murphy. Jim's like, yeah, he's important. Bring him too. Slam. Like, I just got this picture of my family on the sidewalk, like, metaphor, like watching the house burn down in their imagination. Like, well, we got everything that's important to us. All the, all the people we love are here, right? Invitations matter, Right? We all want to be invited. I was coming up to preach first service. She's like, you're going to use the fire thing, aren't you? I was like, oh, yes. Oh, yes, I am. God is for your neighbor. God is for the invite. God is for us having a heart for our neighbors. And he sees our hearts. First Chronicles 28, verse 9, David is talking to his son. And he says, you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father. And serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart. The Lord searches every heart. He understands every desire and every thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. God is for your neighbor and he knows what we think about our neighbors. I've never done this before uh, where I've spent three weeks as a church concentrating on one text. Brand new thing to me. It was kind of like, wow. And we talk about like meditating on the word of the Lord. So if you've been here three weeks in a row, you're like, didn't we do this? Like, we do these facts kind of seem familiar (laughs) to last weekend. We've been doing this, right? And so I would like to tell you Luke chapter five, Jesus shows up in Luke chapter five for I would call a packed house. Okay, this house is packed. And I want to show you a picture right now of, this is kind of Google Earth. This is the Sea of Galilee, and it matters. You see this beautiful sea, the Sea of Galilee coming up here. And all around it, the topography on the picture that's coming up here in just a minute. There it is. Okay, you can see all the homes, the, the villages, kind of the places where people could live. I'm telling you, the topography around the Sea of Galilee is mountainous. There are places to go. In Luke's Gospel, This story happens in chapter five. It is all like Jesus starts his ministry after the temptation in chapter four, and then Jesus withdraws to desolate places. You see, desolation, little town, cavern, canyon, cave, places for Jesus to go. Jesus is controlling his ministry, and they go away. So when Jesus comes back, everyone can get there. When Jesus started his ministry, he spoke with authority. He spoke with a power that people had not seen. And when that started to happen, some of the rulers of the synagogues and all the little towns, you still look on this picture here, you can see how you can get there. Capernaum lying down there on the seashore, that, the real place where Jesus was in this exact instance. You could get there. If, oh, he showed back up again? If you're a religious ruler or you're from the big city Jerusalem, you're making a trip. You're getting out there to see who this person is that speaks with authority. So Luke chapter 5, when this happens, it points that out. Jesus shows up for a packed house. Let's read it. 
Verse 17, one day Jesus was teaching and the Pharisees and teachers of the law, they were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. Read of that big city, big deal. They're checking it out, okay? And Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. This is a very special week. Today is the day that we annually celebrate the, the, the one Sunday where Jesus came into town. When Jesus comes to town and everyone comes out and they sing what we just sang, Hosanna. Hosanna to him who is king and Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is this refrain and they sing it over and over again. Five days later, they'll say, kill him, crucify him. He will go, he will be beaten. He will die on Friday. He will go into the grave for three days. And on Sunday, Easter Sunday, we will gather to celebrate as we do every week, the resurrection of Jesus. He will appear to over 500 people. This is what we believe. This is our hope. This Holy Week, it's an it's incredible week. The most important week of all humanity's history. Luke's gospel records it. But this moment right here, this is the moment that the, the match was struck that started the fire. It's in this teaching where it starts. They, they're going to kill this guy. They are going to kill Jesus because of what happens right here. Jesus shows up, and it's a packed house. People are there to see him for our lives. I think that there's a, a metaphor in this. In your life, Jesus will show up when you pack your life, your house, in a, in a scenario where if he shows up, he can do the work he's got to do. Jesus wants to show up in your life when you pack your life out, when you pack the scenario and the, con the context and the way things are stacking up and the story in your life. When you set it up for Jesus to win, here's what Jesus does. Jesus shows up to packed houses and he, he does business there. I pray for people all the time. When people come down front at the end of services. They catch me in the lobby. We'll just, hey, right here, can we pray for me? Right now we will. Grab someone and we start praying. It happens all the time. We pray for people with infirmities and sicknesses and illnesses. And it's very appropriate to do so. The book of James says you should come and let the elders pray over you. This is a biblical thing. There's not a problem with it. The problem, however, is when we, we pack our, our lives and the things that we want Jesus to do in our lives with things that only serve us. And there are very few times comparatively when I'm praying for an infirmity where if God shows up and does a healing, that person might live another 20 years or die in a car wreck tomorrow. I don't know. There are too many times that I'm praying for that and I'm not gathering with people to pray for their kids that don't come to church, their grandkids that have no clue who Jesus is. Jesus shows up when your house is packed and it's packed in such a way that you've arranged your life for him to get glory and for him to do business. He shows up there. We've had at our church over the last three months since January 1, 150 visitors. It's incredible. Like We're trying to pack the house of the Lord where the gospel is taught and people can come to know him. We believe that it's a special thing when people gather together on Sunday and we praise him and we read the words and we witness people coming to Jesus through baptism. 150 people. Some of you are brand new today. You're visiting. You're like, yeah, we've come three times. We've not signed a card. No way. I'm not getting emails from you for six months about the great egg hunt, buddy. Uh-uh. 150 people, they, they, they're people, God's packing his house. Next, next week, we have a lot of people that will visit. We're going to put out first-time contact cards, you know, and ask people to fill out information. I, 
you know, I know if I give you my email, you're going to sell it to five other people and I'm going to get stuff from like, I can't even imagine. So people, we don't do that here. We just tell you about the great Agon. That's all we do. We're going to ask people to do that. And uh, if there's five people in the family, like five family members, some high school kids or whatever, for every single person that fills out one of those, we're actually going to give a dollar to a family that's been stuck, struck with tragedy. We're, just gonna, we're packing the house for God. There's a family here locally that they lost a four-year-old son to leukemia. Yeah. And we just, it's someone that we've come into contact with through some of our strategies of serving our community first. And this, they lost a child. And you know, it's going to be seasons of I mean, going before God and sorting that out and healing and mourning. And so we just want to send them on a trip when they kind of get through the first weeks of this. And uh, we're going to say, everyone, if there's five people in your family, don't just write Sam on it. That doesn't count. But for everyone we get, we want to send them on a nice trip. Because we, here's what we're doing. We're trying to create a context. We're packing the house so Jesus can show up and do something that he cares about in people's lives. Jesus shows up for packed houses. And the presence of God, the presence of God isn't measured by your realization of it. And you feel like the, like the reality that God is here and is moving among us is not measured by how much you feel it. It's measured by the fulfillment of what he has done. The track record of God being true to his word. That's how we measure the reality of God's presence. Over 600 times he says in the Old Testament, I'm going to send my son. Guess what he did? He sent his son. His son says throughout his entire ministry, I'm going to leave you and I'm going to send one who is greater than I that will be a helper. Guess what happened? Christ resurrects. He ascends into heaven where he is working on glory right now and the spirit of God comes in Acts chapter 2 and the church is lit on fire and we are doing things today in the name of Jesus that are incredible. We measure the realization of God's presence among us. A packed house where Jesus is going to do something by this, his track record. Can I tell you what his track record is? Perfect. His track record is good. God cares for your neighbor and Jesus shows up for a packed house and this is key in this in this context here, in this story, verse 18, obedience. Obedience is better than feeling it, man. Did you ever say that? It's don't feel it. I don't feel it. We ask people all the time, how do you feel about that? What do you feel? What are your feelings on that? We have a saying in our house, I don't care about your feelings. They ask, man, your house is rough. No, it, biblically, we don't, I care less than feelings about feelings than I do obedience. I, I measure on my give a care list, Obedience is up here. Feelings, I care. They're just down here, right? Because if you have obedience, guess what feelings will do? They'll get there. Look what happens here. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. There's four guys, and we found out as a church through some deep, like homiletical research that the guy on the mat, his name is? You guys are theologians. <laughs> I imagine if there are four guys carrying Roger, some, someone's brand new this week, and they're like, is this name really Roger? Doesn't sound Hebrew. I don't know. <laughs> right? We made the guy's name up, okay? We made up Roger so that we could just personalize this a little bit because he's a real person. If there are four guys carrying Roger, let's not depersonalize Bible characters. We live in what is called the church age. 
And all of heaven watches, a great cloud of witnesses watches how we conduct ourselves in the greatest age that you could ever live in. It's not Bible times, it's now. Because the church is here and the spirit of God lives in us, those who believe. This is the time to leave. Do not depersonalize Bible characters. They were people. They got hungry, they got annoyed. They got annoyed with stuff they didn't want to do, like carry Roger somewhere again today. If there's four people, here's what I would guess. There's probably someone who's an early adapter. Hey, you guys, you know what we should do? That's that guy, right? Then there's the second person who's like, yeah, if you want to do it, I'll do it. You know, they're like, kind of like, kind of that middle of the, the bell range, right? They're going to come on. Then there's the late adapters, like, well, okay, if you guys are doing it, I'll go. And then there's the never adapt, right? You're just dragging that person through life, okay? They're never going to like, I came, it's terrible, I'm here. It's like, we know. There's... Their feelings are not commented on in the text right here because their feelings don't matter. What matters is that they did it. Obedience is better than feeling it. I got kids, my spiritual, my, like my, my love language, if you really want to communicate, you love me, you clean something, right? <laughs> Buy me flowers, get me like, no, clean something, right? So I tell my kids, they clean your room. I go upstairs and my kids, you know, they don't, they don't always have my same love language, right? And I got some kids that they like to do it more than others. Like, of course your room is clean. You know, you're, you, that's who you are. I got a kid that doesn't like, I don't think, it's not, it doesn't come natural. How about that? <laughs> when that kid cleans his room, I'm like, it was hard, wasn't it? He's like, you have no idea. You hated every minute of it. I hated every second of it. I'm like, man, I love it. The fact that you did it out of obedience, it means more to me than the kids like, your room's always clean. Go wash my car. I don't know what to tell you, right? It matters because he just did it out of obedience. When we obey, we have to lay our neighbors before Jesus. We have to lay our neighbors before Jesus, writing their name on a fence out there to claim them in the spiritual realms for God to do something in their lives, that's a part of that, right? Here's what it says in verse 19. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, check it, right in front of Jesus. This is very clear language. Where'd they put him? right in front of Jesus. Now, you know what it's like if you have a job to do and you don't want to do a job. Anything that comes up, right, is like, well, we tried, right? You know, ah, 50% chance of rain. Well, it's probably going to rain. Shouldn't do it today. No, no yard work today. Like, it's 50% chance of rain every day in Florida, okay? Just move on with your life. These guys, they could have got there and been like, oh, there's a crowd. Well, bummer, Roger. We're going to take you to the normal spot. We tried, we tried, right? We got to get people right in front of Jesus. Now, let's be clear. Let's be clear what that means. When we say right in front of Jesus, we mean we've got to articulate the gospel for us that believe the gospel is right here in this exact story. The reason that the match is lit here is that this is the origin. This is the center hot white part of the gospel. Jesus being able to forgive sins. The gospels, when you tell someone, I've got news that will drastically alter your life and you have to know it. And you tell them they need to hear, confess of their sins, repent of their sins. I've done this and I can't fix it. Be a needy person before God. I need you. 
then be obedient to baptism, confessing Christ as your Lord, and rise out of a water grave to live a life that's different because of the indwelling of the Spirit. That is the gospel. That's what it means to lay people in front of Jesus. This week, it's like, like, like the last eight days, I had a weird scenario where for three times in eight days, I took a trip down to like Anna Maria Island area, like Bradenton, and I had to go over that big bridge. Let me show you. I love it. I love it so much. You get on that thing and you're going up it and it's just like ching 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 ching. Woo! Right? I and it's I'm so scared. Like I turn the music down, I'm 10 and 2, right? I'm keeping it there and I'm trying to look out a little bit. I crack the windows a little bit cuz I want to hear everything and I'm intense. I'm focused on that thing. I, my daughter-in-law will drive an hour and a half out of the way to not go on that bridge. She is scared to death of that bridge, right? I'll drive an hour and a half to go over it, okay? Three times, we, uh, two times I went down because I was looking at a thing that we might build here on the property for the church to serve our community. And I wanted to take some friends. So I went and I took a buddy that we're looking at it, praying about it. One time we took the kids to the beach, five hours of driving, 45 minutes on the water before they were ready to leave. It was great, great. <laughs> totally worth it. So I've been on this bridge three times in eight days and I'm, I'm still fairly new to Tampa. I've been here about four, we're working on year four. But I know that there was an accident, May 9th, 1980, the southbound traffic. There was an accident on that bridge. A, f- a freightliner hit one of the pylons and stopped that bridge. And cars went off. Cars went off. I kind of dug into it this week because I just been on the, I was thinking about it. When we put people right in front of Jesus, it is as if they are driving on a, a bridge and part of the bridge is gone. And they're headed towards destruction and death. And we stand in front of them and we say, I got to stop your car. I know this is awkward, but I've got some information that's imperative for you to know. If you keep doing what you're doing, you're gonna, it's going to be bad. You're going to die. It's not standing on the side of the road and being like, well, I got shoes. And they say Jesus saves and maybe they'll see those and then come to the website. No, if you've got news like that, you put people in front of Jesus, you're like, stop the car. Stop the car. These guys put him right in front of Jesus. And verse 20 says this, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. That's it. That is the gospel. Jesus forgiving sins, something we can't do for ourselves. When he says that, strike the match. Like Good Friday, that day is coming. It might not be tomorrow. It might not be a month from now. But at some point in time, there's going to be a reckoning where they're going to kill him for what he has said. Because only God can forgive sins and they don't believe he's God. And the book of Hebrews defines faith as obedience. Jesus looks at his friends and he says, because of your faith, I'm going to start to do a movement. I'm going to do a miracle, the first of three. I'm going to forgive this guy's sins. Obedience in the book of Hebrews is faith. All the heroes heroes of faith, they were called faithful because they believed that God was a God who would do the things he said he would do. And they orchestrated their life. They lived their life in such a way that they packed their house so God could show up and do amazing things and get all the glory. That, God says, that's faith. Obedience is faith. The book of James says, faith without works is dead. I cannot pull away an act of faith from obedience. You want to know what faith is? It's not a feeling. It's knowing and living your life that God's word is true. 
And Jesus saw them doing that. He didn't say, because you guys felt like carrying Roger here today, I'm going to do something in Roger's life. It's because you did it. It's just because you did it. It's the first time in the history of the world that human lips, because he was fully human and fully God, has ever said anything like, your sins are forgiven before the God of the universe. You can stand pure. This is an amazing, amazing moment. Can I tell you that the apostles who walked with Jesus at no point in the canon of scriptures that Jesus miraculously brought to us in our language and almost every language in the world to date, we're about 25 years from this being in every tongue. God has miraculously brought this word to us. It's testimony, eyewitness account. There was not one time in all of this where an apostle said, I forgive sins. It doesn't happen. Jesus forgives sins. There is not one time in this canon of scriptures that has an archaeological record of hundreds and hundreds of copies and everyone corroborating to say this is, this is it. Just 150, 200 years after the time of Christ, maybe 90 years from the time when the last book was written, y'all. Not one time in this book where Jesus says, my mother Mary can forgive sins. It doesn't happen in this book. Matter of fact, Jesus says this, I am the way. I am the truth and no one will get to the father but through me. He is so clear, friends. You've got to go through Jesus and we've got to lay our neighbors at the feet of Jesus and tell them the gospel. It's the only way. Being for your neighbors is Jesus 101. Jesus 101, like the first class, the first thing is being for your neighbors. Here's what happens. Verse 21, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, everyone who traveled there that day, to get them, going to catch them. Want to put this new rabble-rouser down. We're going to catch them in something. And just snuff this out. Here's what they began thinking to themselves. Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? He says he's God, basically. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things? See, it's an attribute particular to God to read minds. God reads minds. We know this from Jeremiah 17.10. Jeremiah 17.10 says this. I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. Romans 8.27, New Testament. He, he, he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, speaking of the other part of God, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. And because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God, God the Father's in heaven, and Jesus is in heaven right now preparing glory, the Spirit of God is here and goes back and forth for you and reveals our hearts to the Father. God knows our hearts for our neighbors. And Jesus 101 is being for your neighbors. You know what these guys were not thinking? All of these people that gathered? The local synagogue rabbi was not like, look at this. Good for Roger. I can't wait for Roger's mom to find out. Oh my goodness, wait till Roger's brother finds out. We gotta go get him today. Oh, he's over there. Oh my goodness. Like, not thinking that. The guys from Jerusalem that came down to bust Jesus, they're not like, what a great thing for this town. Don't know Roger, but man, this is awesome. Jesus shows up and is like, you're not for your neighbor. 
Go back to the text. Here's the end. This is the end of it. What's easier to say, Jesus speaking? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk. I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to that paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them. He took what he had been lying on, and he went home praising God. Jesus does three miracles. He hears hearts. He searches hearts. He heals an infirmity, a sickness, an illness, a a paralyzation. Second miracle, third miracle, he forgives sins. The last verse says, everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. I desperately want to see remarkable things with you. I want to be a part, my area code, 33556, I want to be a part of miraculous, incredible things happening where I live in my days on earth. Miraculous things, incredible things, things that make people go, God is real, God is good, God is awesome, God matters, is this, defined in this text, the forgiveness of sins. Understanding that Jesus is truly the Son of God. That's what is amazing. I I dug into it this week. I gotta tell you, I was on the bridge three times. I dove in because it was just fascinating to me. I found, it's eerie. You got to listen really good. But I found at the moment it happened, the original May Day call. This is the call from the Coast Guard coming in, calling the Coast Guard going, we got a problem on the bridge. Listen really carefully. This is it. Vessel calling Mayday, vessel in distress. This is United States Coast Guard, St. Petersburg, Florida. Request your position, nature of distress, and number of persons on board. barely hear it. He says, stop the traffic. There is traffic of people you know, and they are heading in life at 80 miles an hour, like nothing's wrong. And what they don't know is possibly seconds up ahead, they're going to die. It could be seconds. That bridge for them, it might be 80 years away, but it could be seconds away. On that bridge, I, I, I dove in. Laverna Daniels was 20 years old. Hey, you're young. Only old people die right now. This this, this young girl was 20. At 7.33 a.m., 35 lives were lost. They died in six cars, a truck, and a Greyhound bus that fell 150 feet into the water below. All that before the southbound traffic was finally stopped. Brenda Green, 19 years old, headed to Miami, headed home. Gerda Headquist was 92. And she'd fought some stuff in life. She's like, man, I, I went through World War II. I'm not going to die on this bridge today. Well, she, she did. There were two couples in their 50s on vacation together from Newfoundland. They were just over here on vacation. They didn't plan on dying on vacation. 
Stephen S. says this. I boarded a Greyhound bus in Gainesville, the one that went off the Skyway Bridge. I was on the way to Naples, Florida, where my parents lived. I got on the bus and I had a change of mind. I rarely went to class, he says. Yet I didn't want to take criticism for not being in school in the middle of the week. I got off the bus. I returned my ticket for a loss. The next morning, my roommates told me about the disaster. See, the bridge didn't ask what your political stance was. The bridge didn't ask your skin color. The bridge didn't ask if you were ready. This is what death is like. Death will ask one thing of you. Do you have the blood covering of Jesus Christ vouching for you? That's all that matters. You have it or you don't. Like, man, that's really tough. I didn't say these words. I'm a messenger of the king. The king sent me here to jump in front of your car and say, stop, stop, there's trouble ahead. And if you don't have Jesus in your life, you gotta stop. And if you do this, here's what happens. If you're jumping in front of cars, you're gonna get ran over. Some of you are like, I've been jumping in front of cars and I'm just getting hit and hit by the same car. Don't stop jumping in front of cars. Because if you're gonna get some people to stop and some people are gonna go to heaven forever, it's gonna be because you did it often. If you've never been rejected because of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, maybe you're not in the game. And the reason we gotta do this three weeks in a row is 101, Jesus is for your neighbor and you've not been for your neighbor and you've never been rejected because you never put it out there. And like wearing it on a t-shirt and being nice and them knowing you go to church isn't you putting them in front of Jesus and the gospel in front of them. Dana C. says, I was on the bridge when it happened. I was with my parents, my brother and my sister were on the way to Granny's house for vacation. We were the third car behind the Greyhound bus that was rocking back and forth before it went off into the ocean below. I was standing on the back seat looking out the window. I could see and hear the people in the car, the, the bus that was falling into the ocean, yelling and screaming for help. I was five years old. To these four guys that carried Roger, they sought Jesus because it seemed like a case of now or never. Jesus would go away and be gone. He could die before Jesus got back the next time to Capernaum. Jesus didn't have a website with a tour dates, right? They had to get him there. It was now or never. And now was the day of salvation. For you, now is the day of salvation. And if you get to heaven, I don't care if you get to heaven because you were scared or because you love Jesus. Just get to heaven. Well, I don't want to be stopping cars because I'm scared. Jesus is beautiful. And next week, we're going to display. We're going to try to show people through God's word that Jesus is beautiful. Church, God is for your neighbor. And Jesus shows up when you pack a house for him and obedience is better than you feeling it. And you've got to lay your neighbor before Jesus and being for your neighbor is Jesus 101. So let's get ready to have church, everybody. All week, would you stand? Let's sing, let's celebrate. Let's say, come Lord Jesus. Let's get excited about telling our neighbor. Let's do 101, come on.